Hello, and welcome to the Photosynthesis Light for Life podcast. We are part of a progressive faith community in the Houston, Texas area, committed to making the good news good again. By practicing God's radically inclusive love and challenging toxic theology to learn better thinking for life. We hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for your support. This series of going to the book of James, I've titled it called The Good Place. Um, And so it's, uh, you know, of course, it's one of my one of my one of my favorite shows. Uh, So um, I thought the concepts that are explored there, at least the concept of the good place, I saw it in James as I was as I was um, studying. And so I figured combine the two. And so you see the the theme in the background, got the welcome, everything is fine. Um, You know, just little things from the show. And so the show, for the most part, tells the story of four individuals' journeys in the afterlife after realizing they didn't do enough in their earthly lives to make it into what is called the good place. Now, I'm not going to give away the whole plot in case you want to watch it on your own time, but it's a well-done show, in my opinion, and a mix of moral and philosophy and situational comedy. Um, And so... From that show, it, it kind of got me thinking, aside from their original premise of the show, you know, how are we to think of the good place? Wh- where is it? What is required to get there? And, and can we ever get there? Or, or is it already here? Uh, Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, rather. And one of the things that he emphasizes is in that kingdom is about the kingdom's nearness, its closeness, its immediacy and accessibility. Uh, he would often say something like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom is within or is among you. So for Jesus, the good place is the kingdom of God. The good kingdom of God simply being put as his way of doing things. And the kingdom of God, contrary to popular belief, is not some place we go after we die, but rather the kingdom of God is a reality to be presently understood, to be to be engaged and experienced. And so, with that understanding, we we come to we come to the letter of James who is traditionally understood to have been the the brother of Jesus. Now, Jesus' Jewish name is Jacob, which is what we'll see in the title if you ever get your hands on a copy of the original Greek text. So, first of all, we know that James is a Jew. But not only that, he's writing to other Jews. And in verse 1, where he talks about in in his greetings, he addresses the letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion or the diaspora or, or scattered abroad. And so with that part, we want to, I've, in, 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 in the interest of me getting into the lesson, I forgot to do the reading of the scripture. So if one of you guys would chime in and read the scripture um, from verses one through eight, so we can get a kind of a clear, you know, get a little reading. And then I'll continue on with the lesson. 
James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Thank you so much, LaShasta. So first we know verse one, he addresses the letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or what we call the diaspora or the scattered abroad in one text. So we here, we have a Jew that's writing to other displaced Jews one reason or another, that are not able to live and thrive in their homeland. Jews that recognize Jesus as their Messiah and are doing the best that they can um, to live new lives without access to what they initially thought or were taught was the good place, being Israel, uh, namely Jerusalem. And to be honest, the irony is not lost on us as we examine what is going on in the overseas in Israel today. We have a, a displaced people, the Palestinians, fighting against their their 75-year oppression that came about, oddly enough, as a result of bad interpretations of Scripture, inspiring the powers that be to invade and colonize a land that would already belong to a people. Now, all that Jesus came to do and reveal to us about the kingdom has been ignored and cast aside because some of us still desire the good place to be a place. And to be honest, um, for a lot of us, a lot of the turmoil, the trauma and the stress we experience in our own lives is because we're trying to find out where our good place is in this world. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And so in an effort to find a place where we can be included and accepted, we can also tend to exclude others and be excluded by others trying to find their good place. And so our lives are needlessly marked by separation and isolation, a scattering abroad because we fail to learn how to be distinct without being divisive. We fail to learn how to be unique and in unity with one another. So while James is writing to a separated and, and possibly isolated people, he begins this letter with the similar sense of the title of this lesson. He, he tells them greetings, and my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. In that sense, it feels like he's saying, welcome. Everything is fine. To... to <laughs> You know, it's it's a it's a weird thing to put on a wall after I just died and I'm in a waiting room and I don't know where I am. And it's an equally weird thing for James to suggest that my pain is somehow pleasure. Now, you know, what are we getting at? What is what is James getting at here? 
and the force with which James writes verse 2 indicates that it's not something that he's just offering up a suggestion. No, the tone in this original, in the original language presents James as issuing a, a directive, a command to be done at once with great urgency. James, James is saying that it is in your immediate interest, immediate best interest to consider the test and challenges of your life a delight, a joy, a gift. You should do that as soon as possible. Now, why would James come at his audience like this? He, he doesn't leave us hanging. He then writes in verses three and four, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and that let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, the reason that you should count every trial, every tribulation, every setback, every challenge, every obstacle, every limitation, every trauma as nothing but pure joy is because all of those things have the potential to develop and mature you. I know it's, he says, I know it's hard to see it that way right now. I know it doesn't make any sense, but the way to enjoy and experience the good place, which is the kingdom of God in your life, is the, the way the wholeness and maturity requires you to shift your outlook on your struggle. When you understand the, when you understand the kingdom of God, how God does things, it ought to change the way you see things. Now, James is putting forth this idea that he's banking on a huge assumption that wholeness and maturity is what his audience ultimately wants. That is an assumption that everything, everyone is in the same thing for the same reasons. So the question on the floor is, do you want to be made whole? Do we actually want to grow up? Do we want to have a genuine faith marked by our ability to endure because we've adopted a new attitude towards our hardships. Now, some of you may say, no, I'm, I'm okay with where I am in a life and, and what happened to me and what is happening to me now is bad and will always be bad. And you have a right to view your life that way. But understand that the path to maturity is embracing the truth that nothing you put in God's hands is beyond redemption. And part of that restoration process, part of that redemption process, is you releasing your right to judge your life and others the way you want to. You have to develop an openness to trusting God that something good could come out of this and thank him in faith that he has the power to make all things well, including you. So. You say, how do I get there? How can I learn to delight in my struggle? And James, of course, without fail, offers us up one word, wisdom. He says in verse five, if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given you. James knows that what he just said is difficult to adopt. So he encourages the people that they don't have to do this alone. And so by extension, we don't have to do this alone. God stands willing and able to lead us on the path to wholeness, to the, excuse me, to wholeness, to the good place 
by equipping us with wisdom to navigate and handle our trials and challenges. As a matter of fact, God dishes out this wisdom without limitation or hesitation. Now, what is wisdom? And the, tef- the technical definition would be skillful living. Another definition would be comparing it to knowledge. We say knowledge is what you know, which is information, but wisdom is knowing how to handle what you know, which is application. And here's another definition, more of a, a practical one. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Uh, hopefully, hopefully all, hopefully all of us know that right now. Uh, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. In essence, <laughs> wisdom is knowledge stewardship, is, is knowledge management. Some of us know a lot. But we have failed to make much of our lives because we have mishandled the wealth of information afforded to us. Some of us know very little, but we were able to manage that knowledge well enough to produce a godly life. For me, I don't know a lot about the stock market, but thank God I don't need that knowledge to know how to be wealthy. Amen. So when it comes to the difficult moments of our lives, God is offering his assistance liberally and without compulsion in handling them well. He's offering his assistance to processing the tough moments of our lives in a mature way. But here's the the caveat to that, that we must remain in position. James says in verses six through eight, but ask in faith. Never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, this could be used in a very dangerous way toward people who may have doubts about their faith or what they were taught about God. For doubt, in that way, is actually a sign of maturity. It is a means of owning your faith journey and not just accepting what has been handed to you, especially when you've realized that what you were handed was not effective for your life. No, the kind of doubt that James is talking about here is not about questioning what will be told about God, but deciding to do your own thing after asking God for how to move forward on a given situation. It is the it is deciding to cut somebody out after asking God for patience. It's, it's deciding to text or email back a book when God is instructing you to type back okay or nothing at all. It's that type of behavior is ex- exhibiting doubt, a, a double-mindedness towards the wisdom of God. You know, asking what to do, asking God what to do and, and doing our own thing, rejecting his counsel, is, it is double-mindedness. It's It's instability. It's treating prayer as a performative act and not a sincere encounter for real change. We're just talking to make ourselves feel more pious for having prayed about it. So, yes, when when we're doing that kind of back and forth, when we're not going to receive anything from God, even when he's giving it. Because we've abandoned our position as a recipient of wisdom and decided to be the provider of our own remedy. 
And so when we continuously do that, we often get what life throws back at us. We're relying on our own limited viewpoint instead of adopting a higher perspective. The voice says it this way in verses 7 and 8. He says, those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them or bring them anything. And how could God rescue you if you don't stay still? How can the Lord bring you anything if you keep moving? There's a picture of somebody drowning and that they don't, if you are drowning and you are flailing about and somebody's trying to come and get you, you both will drown. It is only when the person that's drowning learns to, be, to remain still that rescue can happen. Because if you're resisting the wave, then you're becoming uh, an accessory to your, own, to your own death. And so, a quarterback does not throw the people. He throws the spots, if you understand sports. And if the player with the wide receiver does not get to the position where the ball is going, the pass will not be completed, and the game becomes just a little bit harder to win. And so James implies here with this imagery of wind and waves and drifting about is that the key to gaining wisdom for maturity, the key to being in a good place, is practicing stillness. Psalm 46 and 10 says, be still and know that I am God. What helps us to be still is what we know. What do we know? That God is God. That's good information. But information is only as good as what we do with it. How do we handle what we know about God? We be still. We be still in expectation, in anticipation, in openness to what God has to say about our situation. Now, how can we practice stillness to receive wisdom? Of course, number one, the most obvious response is prayer. Meditation, sometimes shutting up, holding your peace, limiting your social media use, journaling. These things we can do put a buffer between what we're experiencing and our, and our corresponding actions so that what we offer to our circumstances is a response in wisdom instead of a reaction from pain. Because we are a people that want to mature and no longer be broken and scattered by what life has thrown at us. We want to be in a good place. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Photosynthesis Light for Life podcast. If you would like to connect with our faith community, you can find more information in the show notes and by visiting lightforlifehtx.org. Until next time, have a blessed week.